interest now in uh, meditation, Buddhism, and anything related to those uh, everywhere, invited all over all over the world in fact to to various centers or groups. Last week at a conference in uh, Gloucestershire, Stroud, and the, it's called Mindfulness and Spiritual Crisis. <laughs> and it was a, it was a, a um, conference of a lot of psych- psychotherapists, psychologists, there were a couple of psychiatrists, counselors, um, most were not Buddhist uh, or had any knowledge of Buddhism, um, but there were the the theme was was mindfulness, and it's quite interesting to see how this is the this is the in word now. This is the thing people are are interested in. It's quite quite amusing, really. <coughs> Because it is obvious, it's quite obvious. But in the Western world, we, we're good with theories and ideas. So, you know, like with mental health or psychotherapy or counseling or or psychology, we're very good at creating theories about human behavior and trying to understand uh, human beings through analyzing or comparing. But uh, to really uh, use awareness or mindfulness, this is this is quite seems to be quite a new or fairly uh, recognized. Uh, it's given importance now. Of course, uh, you know, and say, well, you can do psychotherapy heedlessly. <laughs> That's ridiculous, isn't it? Or uh, uh, follow heedlessness in order to understand yourself. Uh, mindfulness is, of course, the obvious. It's so obvious, so here and now, so simple, so immediate, that, of course, we don't notice. Because we've got so many ideas in our heads, so many uh, views and opinions, so many <coughs> fears and desires that we we're kind of whirled away in vortex of our thoughts and emotional habits. <clears throat> but it is encouraging to see this. I, mean, I remember 20 years ago, uh, the psychology world, the psychotherapy and meditation were like polarized against each other, it seemed, here in Britain anyway, that either you did therapy or you did meditation. Now it seems there's a kind of, you know, a meeting, 
something rec- recognizable that is important in, in both, and that is, of course, mindfulness. And people have, uh, you know, spiritual crises. When one is the developing mindfulness, when one is using mindfulness or recognizing mindfulness, then, of course, one is letting go of a lot of controlling mechanisms or habits, uh, ways of protecting one's ego and through fear and desire. And, of course, uh, strange things happen. So people have spiritual crises because the, the structure, the self-structures start falling apart. You know, like the, what we call the ego or the sense of oneself is defined in, in the kind of terms of what is normal in the society, what a man is, a woman is, what a normal citizen is, what should be. And one's own way that, that, that you know, the way you, one uh, projects oneself onto, onto life starts falling apart. Or the world that the the social structures or the views and opinions the the class views the ethnic views of life the the way that we you know we're taught is normal and and right and true these these fall away so it's like everything's breaking down that can be very terrifying. Because it's like your world that seemed so safe and secure starts shaking and wobbling. So I guess that's what they mean by spiritual crisis or spiritual emergency. But mindfulness is a very natural state of being. It's not a created state. So you can't practice, you know, mindfulness, you know, trying to make yourself mindful, because then you conceive it, you start creating a view about you should be mindful, and then you try to become something that you've already conceived. So that's why I keep emphasizing this trusting in the awareness. Don't define, don't, you needn't find out, you know, what the poly dictionary how it defines mindfulness or sati or that. And it's all right if you want to look that up. But it's more important to recognize. It's, a, it's, it's not something that's easily defined because it's imminent. It's here and now. When you, when you define it and create some, some view about it, then one, you can easily grasp the view. Mindfulness is this, the... the Suttas say this, and the dictionary says that. Ajahn Sumedho says this, and another teacher says something else. So, it's a, because it's here and now, then it needn't be, it doesn't need a definition. The word mindfulness is not really a very good translation, in fact, in English. That is what is generally used. <laughs> and so it's another word, but it, what is it pointing to? You know, it, it's not so much to get the completely accurate English equivalent, but whatever word they're using, it's pointing at a reality here and now. And that's the reality that. Uh, we awaken through awakened attention. So you can grasp my word. You can say, Ajahn Samir says, I must be awake and attentive. And then you, you try to make yourself awake and attentive because you think Ajahn Samir is saying that's what you should do. But you're grasping my, the words I'm saying. Maybe you're grasping Ajahn Samir's view about awareness. So awareness then is aware of that. You know, of, of the, I should be more mindful when you, you're meditating and then, the, then you do something, you, you stub your toe or you 
trip over your robe. And I should be more mindful. And then you realize that you're, you've got an idea that you are somebody who's not mindful and should be something that you call mindful. This is where it's trusting in awareness. It's it's not verbal. You know, so remember language, thinking is uh is a limited uh, function, cultivated function. It's dualistic, you know, so it divides. It uh, you know, it 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 defines, it divides separates, compares, analyzes. That's what it's supposed to do. Thinking does that. So you can think and you can say what is best, what is the worst, what should be, what shouldn't be, what's right, what's wrong, what's good and what's bad. So these are all discriminations, aren't they, in terms of uh, phenomena that we encounter in ourselves and the world around us. Beauty is like beauty, beautiful, ugly, and uh, then we we label beautiful. We 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 feel attracted to what is beautiful and repelled by what is ugly. But the awareness of that, isn't it? Awareness underlies the or the whole thing that's happening: attraction and aversion. Right and wrong, good and bad. Awareness isn't, you know, it is not discriminating. It doesn't say which is, which is better and which is worse. Or which is, you know, what should or shouldn't be. But it's discerning. It knows the way it is. It's like this. So we use words, the, the way it is, as is, suchness is another way of expressing it. Uh, Pali, datada, the datakada, what the, the Buddha referred to himself after his enlightenment was the datakada. Why did he use that? Was it some kind of, you know, uh, ethereal title he assumed for himself? Because... Or it just means that which is now, which is present, isn't it? Rather than me, Buddha, or I'm, you know, I'm the Buddha and I'm here now. It's letting go of any, any kind of uh, accolades or titles uh, or anything other than a reference to the present moment, that which is present now. So that kind of language points at this awareness now. Say, I'm Ajahn Sumato, and I'm sitting here, and I'm, and I'm a Buddhist monk, and I've been ordained many years, and so forth, and I've become um, somebody, a teacher, I've become a teacher, an Ajahn, and so forth. But and so then that uh, you know then these these things one. Uh, you know, clings to and identifies with. But awareness transcends that. So even if I'm thinking I'm Ajahn Sumato, there's an awareness that recognizes that's a thought. That's not a real person. That's not, I'm really, you know, that's not really me. Because I'm not Ajahn Sumato all the time, a kind of permanent fixed Ajahn Sumato all the time. In that Ajahn Sumato is a convention that's used uh, under certain, when the conditions for that convention are, arise. But in terms of the reality of this moment, that which is, it's like this. Thinking is like this. I'm aware of what I'm saying right now. There's an awareness.
Thus, I'm not speaking from some idea or theory of, Buddhist, of Buddhism, but trying to point to the, the reality of now, here and now. And that which is the Datada or the Takada, that's just pointing, that's just, when I say that word, then there's, you know, this sense of presence, attentiveness to the present. So, so just recognizing that realizing it. So these words like recognize, realize, know it for what it is. To recognize, because that's where we, what heedlessness is, is where we forget, we become things. You know, we, you know I become Ajahn Sumedho, I'm always Ajahn Sumedho, I'm your teacher, I'm senior monk and so forth. And, and I'm always trying to, you know, the only you know, I present myself and, and see myself always in a, in a role of some sort or a position or an identity. So then one, you know, when we do that, we're heedless, you know, we can, we, we can act on that, on that conventional way, you know, so when somebody there's Ajahn Tomato, and I say, yes. Uh, uh, you know, would you uh, uh, give me the precepts? And I say, yes. That's the convention. But if I, you know, because I know this, investigating, seeing, and, it, and recognizing the way it is. So, so this is why this, this awareness isn't something you can define or even you can't grasp it. There's no way you can make yourself aware. You've got to trust in just be presence, in pure presence, in being, in attentiveness. And then you say, well, I've got to, I'm trying to be attentive. I'm trying to be mindful all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, it goes back into, you know, I, I get the idea, I understand the words, I know what I should do, and I'm trying to do it, because you're grasping the, the, the theory again, the idea, you, you know, it's, it's a truism, isn't it? You should be mindful. Every one of you should be mindful, that's true. That's good advice. So then you, then you grasp the, the Buddha says we should be mindful. I should be mindful. Ajahn Tomato said I should be mindful. I'm trying to be mindful, but I tripped on the step coming in here. And, <laughs> and I remember the story I tell about going on Bindabat when I was in, with Lung Po Cha years ago. You see, so in, if in, during the rainy season, and been about what you have to walk quite a distance. I had to walk three kilometers because I was then young and vigorous. Now I don't think I could go that same. <laughs> but uh, anyway, if it you know, and if it starts to rain, if it looks like it's going to rain, you're supposed to wear your three robes. This you have to you put on with your chivara and. You, the three robes and you go bin above. But if it's raining, you don't wear the sangati. This you can leave back in the monastery. But you're allowed to take an umbrella. So one morning getting ready for Bindabad started raining, so I took my umbrella and walked the three kilometers to this village and it stopped raining. So I didn't have to take the umbrella into the village with me. So I put it by a post, a fence post, on the road back. Um, I was practicing, I was trying desperately to be mindful all the time. And so I noted the post, I knew where I put it, and then I proceeded 
onto uh, the alms round, the Bindabata, into the village, which took maybe 40 minutes, and uh, then finished Bindabata, went back to the monastery. And by the time I got back to the gate of Wat Pong, I realized I'd totally forgotten the umbrella. Uh, oh, you're not mindful, you know, you were really mindful, you were in every step, you were, with, you know, you're really pushing it, you know, even in your bindabata, you were with each step, you were with the bowl, and the people put the food in the bowl, you were really, you know, and you, you mindfully left the village, and you mindfully walked all the way back, three kilometers before you remembered your umbrella. <laughs> So I was, you know, I realized I, I had quite concentrated. That kind of where you force the mind and, and, and into methods and forms, then it becomes concentrated. So I, was, I realized I was very concentrated, but not necessarily mindful. So I got into a state of concentration and then carried that all the way back to the to the monastery. But I wasn't all that mindful, was I? Because then I had to walk three kilometers back. And then on the road, and you're barefoot, and the roads in those days weren't paved. They have these, they, what they put in, these kind of sharp uh, laterite gravel, which is it's like walking on knives. Pins, walking, walking on pins. So, and I've got tender feet. You know, if all those years in Thailand walking barefoot, I still, my, I could never get really thick calluses on my feet. I tried. I was trying to, you know, because some, some of them I said, really tough feet, you know. They could walk on hot coals, I'm sure. I've got this delicate skin, and it it's, uh, it it doesn't have much. Uh, it doesn't, uh, you know. Remember when I lived in in uh, Saba in Borneo, lived right on the sea, and uh, used to go out and swim a lot and you know, snorkel and uh, on the coral reefs, and you could watch the native men walking on the coral reefs and barefoot. And they had calloused feet, with calluses that thick, and it was like wearing shoes anyway. They had natural shoes. So I thought I'd try that. Uh, two years of pain. So awareness then isn't something, you know, know the different concentration, uh, you use methods and forms and 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 that to to control the mind, you know. So you you uh, you put boundaries on things. But mindfulness has no boundary. It's very it's the most simple. It's the most natural state of being. So it's easily, easily not recognized, you know, because the mind creates. We read the scriptures, we read Buddhist books on meditation, we read all kinds of things about meditation practice and mindfulness practices and so forth, and then we, uh, and techniques and so forth that we, we, uh, we, you know, that interest us or inspire us or we think we should develop. But this is why I keep emphasizing, this is something you've got to trust in yourself. It's an awakened state. If you're just even grasping the best definitions of mindfulness from, from the Buddha himself, remember, you're grasping still, grasping somebody else's words. So this is this is where it's, it's trusting yourself to awaken. It's very simple, but it, it's like it's so simple, so here and now, so uh, 
uncomplicated that your complicated mind doesn't, you can't recognize it because you, you filled your, your, the moment with so many views, opinions, doubts, worries, uh, and so forth that, that you, you don't notice. So therefore, this, this uh, listening, attention, listening, listening to yourself, to your own doubt, to your own uh, attempts to be mindful. Listening not to find fault with anything you're thinking or feeling, but to recognize that the thinking process, what you're thinking about yourself and the view you have about mindfulness is a condition that arises and ceases in the present. Uh, the emotion, you know, you're angry or despairing or greedy or lustful or doubtful. There's an awareness of that. We can, you know, when I feel emotion, I'm, there's an awareness of it. I know what I'm feeling. Of anger, I know, I know that what anger is. Lust, I know what lust is. Fear, I know that. What is it that can know fear and lust and anger and doubt and confusion? Like I used to ask myself this question, what is it that knows this? And just by asking myself this question, I, I start looking at it. What, there's an awareness of say say example anger some somebody's something's happened and I feel this anger arising. If I just think as oh I'm angry and it's your fault because you said that terrible thing to me and I'm angry that's a, that's the um, you know the sense of myself that I create and then I want to blame blame it on you blame it on something on the on the traffic noises, on the on the wasp that buzz around the window, and uh, the ticking of the clock. <laughs> but the awareness doesn't it doesn't get angry and doesn't blame anybody. Awareness knows that that feeling, that energy, that energetic experience of that we, we label angers like this. It's discerning it. Knows it. It's not judging it and it's not claiming it. It's not analyzing it. It knows it. It's the, the way it is. It's, it's, a, it's a changing condition, isn't it? It's not a permanent state. It arises, it ceases. And if you trust in that awareness, then you can, you can be patient with the emotional habits you have, and they all cease. They have no permanent emotional states. You know, when one's depressed, sometimes you feel, I'll be depressed forever. But that's the way it seems, you know, and that's the seeming quality. <laughs> but that's not the way it really is. And that which is aware, you know, awareness is not depressed, not angry, not lustful, not doubtful. But as soon as I, heedlessness, heedlessness takes me over, then I become, you know, if it's angry, I become an angry person. If it's lust, I become lustful. If, uh, if it's uh, uh, doubtful, I become a doubter, a skeptic by grasping that. So you see what I mean, it's, it's learning to trust this, 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 this pure awareness, it's intelligent. It has no boundary. It do, it's not a judging and making no value judgments or moral judgments about you or your behavior or anyone else. But it's aware if we're doing that, isn't it? If I start blaming myself or somebody else, awareness knows that that is a you know, condition I'm creating. 
So the conditioned realm is this, you know, changes and, you know, permutations and variations go on ad infinitum. So, you know, they rise and cease and move around according to other conditions. This is a conditioned realm that we're living in, that we're experiencing through the body and the senses. The realm is like this. It's you know, so it's a awareness of the realm, because awareness isn't the realm. Awareness allows us to know the this sense realm as an object, not as the subject anymore. So then, anger if it arises, is an object. It's no, and if I grasp it out of heedlessness, then, I, then it becomes a subject. I make the angry person the subject of this moment. But if I trust in the awareness, then the angry energy arises and ceases. So this awareness also sustains itself. This is where it's, it's sada or faith in it, trust in it, recognize it. Like in the Third Noble Truth, it's this realizing it, recognizing it. It's nothing you create, you know, it's nothing that isn't here and now, it's just not recognized or not realized. So therefore this, this attention, this awareness, all these words, the, the sense of relaxing and opening, receiving life. It is a kind of wide opening like this. It's not putting, putting uh, boundaries on everything. So then this is the, the way of liberation. It's through this that we, we, we realize or we recognize the path, the Eightfold Path or the way of non-suffering. So in this monastic form, you know, like, Recognize that this is for awareness, not for identity. How to use the monastic form, the discipline, the tradition for awareness? You know, this is something, you know, when, you, when you're given the Bapacha, Upasampada, and the Anagarika precepts, then they're giving you this this uh, is empowering you with, the, with these conventions, not as identification. You know, I'm a I'm a monk now, and and uh, you know become uh, attached to the idea of myself being a monk. That's not the point, isn't it? It's not to assume an identity, but it's uh, it's for awareness. The vinaya is is for awareness. It's not to make you feel, to make your life difficult, or make you feel guilt-ridden and worthless and that, or to create endless problems around it. How to use it for awareness to help you to recognize and trust in the awareness. The tradition itself is for that. The Thai forest tradition, the Theravada. If they're not meant for that, then they are, they're getting in the way. You know, they get in the way. If you, if you create them uh, into something, you know, that you attach to, or you, you just judge, you know, you just react to, that you get, you know, you go through various emotional stages of loving and hating traditions, at least I have. 
Sometimes I love Theravada, sometimes can't stand it. <laughs> That's emotional. That depends on conditions that arise. So then, then like the scripture, they, all, all the scripture, like the Sutta, Vinaya, Abhidham, all this, this is for awareness, not for grasping. So then, it's why it's so, you know, why I stress this awakened awareness. Is, let's see, this is the essence. This is the essential point. This is so clearly stated in Buddhism. You know, it's, uh, you know, that's the kind of, that is, is what it's about. That's, uh, that's what it's for. To, the every, all the conventions we have, all that Vinaya tradition, it, it's to be used for awareness, not for grasping. So this is this is where you know you you're encouraged to to uh, learn how to use conventions for awareness. Sometimes people think that conventions get in the way, and uh, you know they complain about the restriction or the separation or the inability to do this or that or the because. We, you know, we, we, you know, we can. It does. It's the point of of a of a vinaya is restraint. It makes it simplifies our life. Life is for you know, is getting down to more some kind of simple lifestyle, not so complicated. It it restricts behavior and there's boundaries. So the form, you know, forms have boundaries. Those boundaries then are to be recognized. And sometimes you like the boundaries, sometimes you, you feel rebellious against them, but be aware of that. Of when one gets very, I've got to have the boundaries like this and get very upset when the, when the boundary isn't clear. Somebody goes outside the boundary, we, we go into panic and then, then we get upset. Or when we rebel against the boundary. You know, I, you know I, we, we just feel very resentful about not being able to do what we want because uh, it's outside the boundary. There's awareness, isn't it? This for this kind of reference so that we, we're, our refuge is in the awareness, not the convention. So it's learning to trust in this, in this conscious experience that we're all sharing right now. Not in views or opinions, you know, that one favors or has, or, you know, conventions, not, not to, but to but we live in a realm of conditioned phenomena, sensitivity, conventional forms, uh, good and bad things happen, right and wrong, all that. So, so these are, this is the conditioned realm that, that we, if we can't see it, if we can't discern it, then we constantly being caught in it, in the endless cycles uh, uh, and movements of uh, condition, changing condition. And that's why there is so much suffering. And in this uh, conference, they, they, whoop. <laughs> Heedless. <Whoop>. No. <laughs> this conference, they were, they were, uh, you know, recognizing the, the importance of this. They've, the, the thing is, they've got a good idea. They, you know, they, they understand it. But how to, how to really apply it in relating to somebody else? 
awareness. You know, we, we can easily, you know, come in here and say, look at the shrine, turn away, and then, then I turn around and then there you are. <laughs> and then see, you know, if one doesn't understand awareness, then one gets confused by turning around when, you, when it comes to relating to somebody else. Buddha Rupa is fine. You get used to relating to Buddha Rupas. They're always the same. <laughs> but when you're relating to another person, then you're dealing with love and hate, like and dislike, and, and uh, various other emotions arise. So awareness then is is the is the refuge that allows us once we recognize it then we can integrate that into everything to a life to the way we're living you know to the life of a Buddhist monk or nun Amravati you know it's a integrate into the whole whole life experience and Amravati or when you go to London or Whatever these are not the, you know, these are not obstructions. You know, going to one can look at London as a threat to one's mindfulness, but it's not. If you really know mindfulness in London, London is the way it is. Awareness knows the way it is. It doesn't, you know, condemn London because it's it's not like Amravati. Things are as they are. When you've got large concentrations of people, noisy, uh, noisy cities with lots of traffic, pollution, this is the way it is. So one can, you know, develop that awareness without and discerning dis discernment, because these things do bring up states of love and hate, like and dislike, and so forth, because that's the sense realm, attraction, aversion, liking, disliking. But awareness does not like or dislike. It holds both. Both belong in awareness. So disliking, hating is like this. Liking, loving is like this. And so you're even though that, that might sound simple and easy, you know, in words, in practice it, it is simple and easy, but but it's but remember that we're not simple and easy ourselves. Are we? Complicated, fascinating creatures that we are. <laughs> But in uh, recognizing the path, the stream entry, then it is, it is through this recognition of this, the the re realization of of through awareness here and now. We're thinking and and uh, you know grasping thoughts and ideas and self-views and, and uh, conventional forms. If this is what we're doing, then, then we don't see that. We're, our, our, our loyalty is always to some conditioned thing, some idea, some ideal. It might be very good, you know, ideal and that, but it's still grasping out of heedlessness out of ignorance. So then the, the awareness is uh, 
you can recognize with awareness recognize grasping is like this, non-grasping is like this. You know, you know what gra- grasping, when I, you know, I'm brought up to grasp. My whole cultural conditioning is, is about grasping and having opinions and views and prejudices and biases and preferences. That's what my culture is all about. You know, identity, being somebody, having a position, identity with a class, with a group, with, a, with a being male, female, identity, grasping, all these, these things are how we're conditioned. So then, uh, the grasping, then notice what grasping, if you're suffering, it's because you're grasping something. You know, so then ask yourself, well, if you're, uh, you know, if you're upset, angry, confused, desperate, despairing, ask yourself, what am I grasping that makes me feel this way? And uh, doing this, then I began to tra- see uh, I was grasping, sometimes grasping a, a, an ideal. I wanted Amrabhati, I, w- I want Amrabhati to be a peaceful and harmonious Buddhist community. I want Amrabhati to be successful monastery. I want Amrabhati to have a good reputation and be respected all over the world. Those are all very good desires. So then somebody says, Amravati isn't any good. That Ajahn Sameer has made a total mess of that place. <laughs> and uh, the community, harmonious, ha-ha, the most kind of confused, screwed up community I've ever seen. And (laughs) and then I think, oh, it's not fair. I've tried so hard. (laughs) People are always criticizing. I feel it's there for you shouldn't you shouldn't criticize, you should be supportive. I'm trying my best, and I get indignant, and then I then I say things in indignation. You know, my feelings are hurt, and I'm indignant because, you know, there's all these are kind of truisms. I've tried hard, devoted my life to the Dhamma, on and on like that, and I can, you know, like sound like one of those Jewish mothers. But give my life for you. And I, all I get is a slap in the face. Or if I'm doing that, you know, it's not that I don't ever feel like that, but that's suffering to me. When I start feeling sorry for myself or resenting being criticized or people spreading bad rumors about me or the monastery or whatever. When I get angry, upset, indignant, self-righteous, fed up, despairing, this is this dukkha, this is suffering. So then I say, what am I grasping that makes me feel like this? I can see I'm grasping the sense of I I don't like that, I don't want to hear that kind of thing. I want, I want people to say, Ajahn Sumedha's done a really good job there, you know, he's number one. And that community is really super duper. And it's going places, and it's really... But then they say the opposite. And I, when, they say the, when they say how wonderful you are, yes, <laughs> of course. 
And then, then the other, then how dare you? But awareness includes both, doesn't it? It includes both being puffed up when people praise me and, and kind of feeling happy when everybody's saying how great the place is or feeling angry when they, when they uh, criticize it. The awareness is the refuge. This is quite, you know, this is this is a way of liberation because, on the world, on in the world, you 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 know, we're all going to have to experience praise and blame, success and failure, and so forth. These are just part of life experience in this human form. You know, life isn't going to, you can't make, a place or yourself or somebody else into what you would like them to be or what you think they should be. And that it's not an act of will, it's not, you know, it is a kind of conceit, isn't it, that, I, that I'm going to make this monastery the perfect place, you know, with a perfectly harmonious community. You know, if I could, I would. But that's not the way it is. There's so many factors influencing this moment now that I have no control over recognizing that. It's not a matter of me with my ideas and my views about how I want things to, to make, to force the world into that mold, but to know the world the way it is, to see the Dhamma, all that arises ceases. The Pesankarani Cha. That's all we need to know. That's the knowing. Discerning. It's a discerning knowledge, not knowing about how things should be. So I offer this as a reflection for this evening.